Well, today we mark and we give thanks for the Reformation, when a little over uh, about 500 years ago, Martin Luther and others said that enough was enough, said that the church had lost its way and needed to return to the Word of God. And when Martin Luther discovered for himself, he also rediscovered for many the gospel. He reminded us that it must be Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and scripture alone. And in this discovery that took place during this Reformation, he began talking about a change, a, a change for the church, of course, but also an inner transformation to, to be set free from the idea that we must earn or keep God's love, to, to be set free from the idea that, that somehow works or what is going to be what we stand on. And the church had wandered so far from the word of God, they weren't worshiping in spirit and in truth like we're called to in John chapter 4. Instead, at the time, the mission of the church had become just about yourself and the works, had become about what you want, had become about money, had come, become about ignoring the poor. And in short, the church itself had strayed very far from grace, from hope, from life, from what it was supposed to be. So when Luther stands up and nails those 95 theses to the door and everything that follows, it's not because he found something new that no one had ever seen before. He found what had always been. It just had got lost. And today we remember and give thanks that we stand in the justification we have in Jesus by grace through faith. And that's what our Romans text looks at this morning, which is the letter that we're on in our Word of the Lord Grows series. So the text we're looking at is chapter 5. And if you brought your Bibles out, you can open it up to chapter 5. Otherwise, it's there in your bulletin. It'll be on my screens as well. But we're going to look at what had happened up to this point in Romans chapter 5. See, Paul has convinced us now that the only way of salvation is to be made right with God by grace through faith. He's shown how all of us have sinned and fallen short of that glory of God, and what we deserve is damnation and death, but God in his mercy has freely given us Jesus who died for us, who rose for us, so that we could be forgiven and live a new life. And chapter 5 basically picks up with Paul telling the Christians in Rome and us what the now practical benefit of that salvation is. He's explaining that it's more than just some idea or more than just some facts, but this is a way of life and hope and truth. And he takes these words that we're going to look at, justification and peace and grace, and he applies them to our lives and what it now means for us as we live in Christ. And so this is Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So let's break this text down here. Now, justified through faith is speaking of, a, a, of a, like a legal decree. Romans 1, 18, all the way up to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is telling us that we have been found guilty before the court of God's law, God's glory, and even in our own conscience. When we look at God's law, those Ten Commandments, those ways that he says to live, we look at them and realize we have not lived up to this. We have sinned. We have fallen short. When we hear God say, be holy as I am holy, we know we failed. And even if we didn't have God's law, right, we could look at our own lives, we could just kind of think for ourselves and examine our own hearts and realize in our conscience, I am not living the way that I should, I have done something wrong. But Paul explains, and again, this is the main point of the gospel, right, that because of what Jesus did, 
Because of Jesus' perfect life, we looked at that in Hebrews, because of his sacrificial death for us and his resurrection from the dead, now the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God is given to those who believe, all who put their trust in what Jesus did for them to make them right with God. And in that faith, the guilty sentence is changed into a sentence of being justified, justified by faith. But in this chapter... Paul is really fleshing out this idea of justification. He's moving from just the stance that we have been forgiven into how we have been made right with God. You don't just get all of your sins forgiven. There's so much more that comes with this life in Jesus. And the first one we see is peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first benefit that he lists. Because the price was paid in full by the work of Jesus on the cross, God's justice toward us is eternally satisfied. Now, this peace of God spoken of in other places is not that peace that God gives, right? It's not just like, I'm feeling peaceful today. This is actual peace with God. The battle between God and ourself and our sinful nature is done. He won. He won you and I. And I like to consider that for just a moment because we sing a lot about God fighting battles for us. We talk a lot about overcoming evil in our lives, but we have to remember, and this is part of that truth that he found, that first and foremost, what God was fighting for was you. You have peace with God because that's what he fought for. You are worth more than every challenge that you faith. You are more. Remember that parable? It's really, really short. It's the one where the man is out searching and he, in his, you know, he's walking through this field and he finds a pair, like a little pearl, like a great treasure. You remember this one? And in his joy, what does he do? He sells it all and then he goes back and buys the field because he now has this treasure. And I grew up thinking like, that's a great parable. What that is saying is that I am supposed to sell everything I have for the treasure that is Jesus Christ. But when we look in that parable in context, that parable is not about us selling everything for God and finding the treasure. It's the other way around. God is the man in that. And you and I are the treasure. He has sold everything, given everything, sacrificed his own son for you. He is fighting and giving everything for you. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have that peace. That's why we say Jesus is our peace. We do not have peace with the devil. We don't have peace with the world. We don't have peace within the flesh of our own selves or peace with sin. Life is going to be a battle for the Christian, but we are never now battling against God because we have been made right with God. And now since there's no separation, we are fighting alongside God and with God, fighting alongside one another in faith, in love, and through that grace, which is the second benefit. We have this standing in grace, which is unmerited favor given to us through Jesus, received in faith. God's undeserved favor toward you and I is not just something that you get once and all of a sudden you're saved. This describes the way that we are now presented forever before God. It's not just the beginning, 
but the continuing way that we exist with God in grace. We now stand, that the text says right there, is in the present tense, but it has the idea, the thought of continuing always now in grace, which brings peace to our hearts, which brings peace to our minds, realizing that we're not earning or keeping anything because God reassures us that his favor, his joy is on us forever. And he doesn't just love us because he has to, but he takes joy in us. He likes us. He finds love for us. And for me, well, that's what it really means to be set free, to be made new, to become transformed. Grace is not something that is just given to you once, but you rest in it, stand in it, live in it. And there's this beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3 that I think says it beautifully. Look at this. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is close to you. The Lord your God is with you. The door to God is always open, and you are not working for it or interviewing for it. It is open to you, and this is a blessing beyond anything we could ever receive because it's one thing to have peace with someone. It's one thing to be getting along with someone. It's entirely something else to not only get along with them but to be brought into their presence. And this verse in Romans speaks to how that is ours, that presence, that remaining gift of being with God, who is the one who saves us, who is the one who rejoices over us. We don't prove how worthy we are to God. He is our friend. And it says here that he will quiet you by his love. His love quiets your fear, your mind, your worries, meaning that you do not ever have to worry, am I enough for God? Rather, he sings over you like a parent does to their little child. Forever being freed from that balancing out of have I done enough good or have I done too much evil because everything is settled in Jesus. And that is the truth of this reformation. And that is why now we spend time praising God and can spend less time hating ourselves and living in fear. In fact, we can Boast in the hope and of the glory of God. And boast here is just a word for rejoice, a triumphant rejoicing confidence. Because this is the only conclusion that we have to this peace that we have with God. We reject the, the, the works that we have done and instead look only to Him. Because when we trust in Him, when we trust that what he tells us, trust what Jesus has done for us, we are now rejoicing and boasting and putting our hope, not in our own selves, but in him. And that hope we're going to read doesn't shame us. It sustains us and carries us when life happens. And this next text is probably something that you've heard. And when we read it, if we go to verses 3 to 5 here, it, it, it reads so well, but when we live it, it's so extremely tough. Because it says, not only so, not only have we received everything from God, but we glory now, glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This isn't natural. Suffering does not usually produce perseverance, character, or hope. 
ask the many of us who have buried children or lost spouses, who have lost jobs, who have suffered pain or disease or illness. The natural result of suffering is questioning, is grief, is anger, is depression, and can even be unbelief. And you have to acknowledge that. We have to do our best to understand that when someone suffers, their first thought isn't, let me glory in this. Because there's not supposed to be suffering. There's not supposed to be pain. And there's not supposed to be scars. But there is. And what remains is choices. And choices aren't ever easy. And sometimes we choose wrong. But the promise here is that there is something for those who stand in grace. There is something that we receive, something that you don't choose or get if you've been good or working hard, but freely, by grace, out of love, something is given to you. And not in a small amount or some tiny trickle or a certain amount based on where you're at in life. It is poured pressed down, spilled over, and given without limit. That is the love of God that is poured into your heart and given to you through the Holy Spirit. And Paul knew this. He knew that when he would write that we glory in suffering, some would think that's just kind of like a pie in the sky. That's way too lofty. That's out of touch. There's no glorying in suffering because you don't know what real life is. But Paul knew all about suffering. And he knew that as Christians, we have so much suffering in this life, but he was convinced that your suffering will not define you or your suffering will not have the final say over your life. And he shows us that because of Christ Jesus and what Jesus suffered and did through suffering, because of what Christ Jesus has promised us, in spite of suffering, we can glory when the trials and the hard times come. Not grin and bear it or white knuckle it, glory, which is just a fancy way of saying, believe that it is not going to be the final say over your life. And you can believe that so strongly and so confidently that you can rejoice and take pride and you can even take on suffering. Because a runner is stressed and runs to gain endurance. Sailors have to go to sea and soldiers have to battle. But for the Christian, tribulation is a part of your life. Don't forget the conversation with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. He looked at them and he said to them, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He looks them square in the eyes and says, you are going to have trouble in this life. They're going to come for you and they're going to do their best to destroy you and stop you and take everything from you. But he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. As Christians, we don't desire or hope for this troublesome, suffering-free life. Because we have come to know that God somehow uses it. But that's not an invitation now. Go seek out suffering. Go try to put yourself in opportunities where you're going to get hurt horribly. But this whole idea of suffering, perseverance, Character, hope is the golden chain that we wear around our neck of growth and maturity because each one builds on the other.
And we're following a pattern that our Lord Jesus himself showed us. There's probably not a single one of us here who thinks, you know what I don't want? I don't want any character and I don't want any more hope. Scripture tells us that if you want those things, they come from perseverance. They come through suffering and tribulation. And we may just want it sprinkled over us, that character and hope, but that's not a part of God's plan. His plan then is that we will learn to carry the cross. His plan is that His plan is that we will learn to know what it means to follow Him, which is why we can reverently say and pray, Lord, let it be. That's why in His prayer that He gave us, He told us to say, Thy will be done, because we know that He loves us and that He carefully measures every trial and every purpose in our life and we say, we're not going to seek it, Lord. We're just going to receive whatever you give. And when suffering comes, we won't despise. We won't lose hope. We will trust in you and stand in your grace. And then we discover the power and the healing of the hope and love of Jesus. Because to stand in the grace, even through suffering, is real transformation. Because only in Christ do we have the power to be set free from the guilt that we have made. Only in Christ do we have the power to be set free from the shame we have experienced and the pain done to us. Only in Christ can we be set free from the pride and embrace every single trial that comes, can have our hearts be set free from the anger and the grief and the questions that haunt us every time death or loss or struggle comes. Only in Christ can the things done to us and the brokenness and that little voice in our head that says, I wish I was anybody but myself, will we be transformed and healed by the outpouring of love given to us in the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. See, we can say that we have been loved even when we were sinners. Because even when we were sinners, there was one who chose us. Look at verses 6 through 8 here. Even when we were alone, there was one who chose you. Even when you chose evil, there was still one who looked at you and said, you are mine. Even when you were abused, you were still chosen. That is transformation. To be set free and to believe that. That you are no longer a victim, but a saint. No longer alone, but a child of God. No longer afraid, but confident. No longer nothing and cast to the side, but now transformed to stand in grace and made right with God because your Jesus loves you. That is the faith and the discovery that today celebrates. That that is known and that it holds deep in your heart and forms who you are. That Christ Jesus broke the curse of sin, the power of death, and the might of the devil. You look to that cross and know that is the proof that you are loved. And it never stops on the cross because you know he came down from it. And every good thing, every encouraging word, every moment when the brothers and sisters of Jesus love and encourage one another and comfort one another, we are reminded of what we have received. Because the cross is where mankind was showing their, their most evil and it did not defeat the love of Jesus. God's love isn't just that he died for you, but that he died for you. He died for you and for me.
And that is what surrounds us and keeps us forever and always. Amen.